Good. Amen. Amen. I love it when he comes to church. So if he didn't come, you then you're stuck with me. <laughs> but we like it when he shows up. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you showed up. And whether you're on live stream, podcast, or Facebook, we're glad that you've showed up also. It's good to see you all. Glad that you could join us today. Get around the Word of God, the presence of God, the anointing of God. Praise the Lord. And life don't ever have to be the same. And by the time we leave here today, our life can be different than when we came in. In fact, your life can already be different than when you came in just by spending time in the presence of the Lord. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, you know what next Sunday is, right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Dr. Dennis Burke will be here. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. So invite someone to come because you know that they'll be blessed. You know, he's got a powerful ministry. He's got a great teaching ministry. And uh, we want to come prepared to be a partaker in giving and receiving. Amen. And uh, after the Sunday service next week, there's going to be potluck. So that means you have to bring something. (laughs) Uh, But we're going to have a potluck and we're going to have, we'll be dining with Dennis. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I sound more excited than you are, but we're glad that you're, you're here and you don't have to cook. That's right. I don't have to cook. That's why I'm excited, but I never cook, so I'm always excited. <laughs> Although I have been running a mean microwave lately. <laughs> Let's open up the first Peter chapter two. And let's look at it in the King James Version, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Don't you love the presence of God? It says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, Pastor Tim just happened to touch on this as he was closing up his service at 930. But he was mentioning here about the peculiar people. And, you know, that phrase has gotten so many people in trouble. You know, uh, because we, 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 we define peculiar as weirdo. Well, you know, I'm a weirdo because I'm not like everybody else. You're, you're in the twilight zone, you know. But it's not about being weird and goofy or being in the twilight zone. You know, when you saw Elijah, he outran the chariot for 20 miles. Remember that? Uh, uh, King Ahab was in the chariot, and he outran it to Jezreel, which was about 20 or 25 miles, and he outran it. And, uh, you know, you could read things like that and then think, yeah, I can be a super runner. You know? Or remember the man that got healed at the gate beautiful. You know, Peter and John picked him up by his arms and his ankle bones strengthened and, and he walked into the temple well I've seen people that they they read that and all of a sudden they're pulling people out of the wheelchair the only problem is the people fall on the floor and I've seen people pull them out of wheelchairs drag them around the room and put them back into the wheelchair again because why people think they need to do something far out we're peculiar people we do stuff that's far out you're a weirdo But that's not what peculiar means. You know, we think, oh, we got to do stuff that's, it's just not normal. You get locked up for that. 
you know, and actually we think that we're doing stuff by faith, but it's actually the fertility of your mind coming up with goofiness. Are you with me? I knew a woman that she uh, had diabetes, refused to go to the doctor. I'm not going to the doctor. Well, she wound up losing both of her legs because she wouldn't go to the doctor. I know a woman that was on her way to court over a custody battle for her children. She said, I'm not getting a lawyer. Jesus is my advocate. She lost the kids. I know another woman that she decided that her eyes were healed. So she took her glasses off and would not wear them. And she drove, couldn't see nothing. She went out and played tennis, couldn't hit the ball. Couldn't see anything. Well, why? Peculiar. Weird. And this is what gives faith a bad name. Faith is not peculiar and it's not weird. A lot of people go around blabbering, blabbering what they say. And, and because they said it, they believe that they're going to get a hold of it. You know, now it's true that it says in Mark eleven twenty three, what's a, you know, whoever says to the mountain, be removed, the cast of the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, he'll have what he says. And what do most people zero in on? I have what I say, so I'm saying it and I'll have it. And they miss the little qualifier of the whole phrase, and it's called believe in your heart. Not want it in your head, not like it in your emotions, but believe it in your heart. And they miss that. And therefore, they're out blabbing and all this other stuff and saying this and that to people. And nothing happens. Nothing turns around in their life. And they don't know why. <clears throat> and it's because they're being weirdos. Because to believe in your heart is to go by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? I know, another, well, I know of another woman <clears throat> that she was believing God for her eyes to be healed. So every morning she'd get up and she'd declare healing over her eyes that she had 20-20 vision and she put her glasses on and went around the day, went about the day and did that every day for 10 months and then she didn't need her glasses anymore. See, but what, do our, what does our head say? Oh, if I believe I'm healed, I don't need. And you can't see. You can't walk. You can't defend yourself in court. You can't do anything because you came up with what you think you needed to do. Fertility of the mind. But she did it by the direction of the Holy Spirit, which is what most people miss. Oh, she took her glasses off and she was healed at him. I'm taking my glasses off. You missed the point. Directed by the Holy Spirit. That's what will keep you from being weird. And you know what happens when the Holy Spirit directs you? It works. Amen. Hallelujah. Faith, spiritual matters, operations of the kingdom of God are not goofy and they're not weird. They're solid, strong, and based on true knowledge. True knowledge. The true knowledge of the word of God. And if you look at this in the New, in the New American Standard of 1 Peter 2.9, New American Standard says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's what peculiar people means. You are peculiar to God. You are his possession. The world is not. You are his possession. That's what peculiar means. It doesn't mean weirdo. See, you just, you just need to stay out of Webster's Dictionary sometimes. <laughs> are you with me? Hallelujah. Welcome to church. Aren't you glad you came today? 
1 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's read verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't forget tonight at 6 o'clock, Believer's Meeting. You know, I was uh, before the Lord and um, just minding my own business, really. But I was before the Lord and he dropped some things right into my heart. Things that I had not even really thought about, although I knew the truth of them. So that's what I'm going to share with you tonight. So this will be fresh from heaven tonight. As everything is. Because that's why there's an anointing on what you hear. Amen. First Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly or carnal. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly or carnal? And are you not walking like mere everyday people in the world? That's what mere men means. Walking just like, you know, it's just like, uh, uh, you know, speaking the word, getting the word in your heart and speaking it out of your mouth. And some people say, well, I just, I don't do that. You know, I, I don't speak the word out of my, I just kind of think it in my head. So then you're just like the world. The Bible tells you to speak it out of your mouth. And dear Lord, I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff that comes out of your mouth that you should have been thinking in your head and not let it out. But you have no problem letting that out. But bless God, when it comes to the word of God, we ain't speaking that out. <laughs> uh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Corinth, the church of Corinth was known as one of the most carnal churches. The only one that really came up to it, or maybe even exceeded it, was Laodicea. But Corinth was a very carnal church. Now, to be carnal means to be born again, but still live like the old man. You think like the old man, you act like the old man, and when stuff happens, you respond just like the old man, the old ways. Just like we did in the world. Now, you remember, and I think we looked at it last week. Last week, we were talking about spiritual matters, and we saw in chapter 1 that the Corinthian church did not come behind in any of the verbal gifts of speech and knowledge. Isn't that right? And a lot of people have taught about Corinth and the gifts, and they have taught that their carnality was because of the Holy Spirit and because of the gifts. And they said that the people of Corinth would emphasize the gifts too much, and it just caused them to get carnal and go off the deep end. Yeah, I know. That's the, my, that was my reaction, too. But, you know, the question, of course, is would the gifts of the Holy Spirit cause carnality? Would the gifts of the Spirit cause immaturity? No, not ever. The Corinthians' carnality was not caused by the gifts, but in reality, their carnality was exposed by the gifts. In other words, the gifts was exposing the baggage that they carried into this new life. And what is that? That's the condition of our soul. Okay, because in our soul, our mind, emotions, and will, it didn't get born again. It didn't get saved. It didn't get changed. We have to work on changing it by the word of God. Isn't that right? And, you know, all through the church, there was always issues like when Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in 518, he said, be not drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, why would he say be not drunk with wine? Because that was an issue they had. 
Another place, I think he wrote to the church of Ephesus, and he said, for those of you that steal, steal no longer. Well, that was an issue. And it was being exposed. Now, he's not pointing his finger. He's not mentioning names. He's just putting it out there and goes, if you're the one stealing, you need to stop. If you're the one getting drunk, you need to stop. God has a true reality to that because getting drunk or stealing is just a perversion of what God has for you. Instead of being drunk, you should be being filled and staying filled with the Holy Spirit. And instead of stealing, you ought to be working with your hands because giving is what will create the increase you need. And let me give you a little bit of background about Corinth before you criticize them and condemn them too much about being carnal. In 146 BC, Rome was attacked. Rome attacked and destroyed the city of Corinth. Well, in 44 BC, Julius Caesar reestablished the city of Corinth and it linked central Greece with southern Greece. And he offered new life to any veteran Roman legionaries. All right. He offered it for the poor and freed slaves of Rome to be able to go there and relocate. It was a promised land, and it just needed to be reconstructed. It was the original Habitat for Humanity community, (laughs) that they could move there, but they had to construct it. So who did you have? Old veteran Roman legionaries that'll kill you in a heartbeat. The poor and the the, the slaves that got freed from Rome, they were all offered to go there and relocate. So you had a large number of people moving to Corinth. Aphrodite, and and I know I mentioned last week about Aphrodite, but I think I used the wrong word, you know, and and I used a different Greek word is what, what the problem was. But the Greek god was Aphrodite. She was the goddess of old Corinth. And Caesar, Caesar, talk about weirdo. Caesar thought he was a direct descendant of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was revered as the goddess of sex and prostitution. So the sex industry, again, took a major role in Corinth. And it was located between two ports. So because of the sex industry, it was a tourist stop for for sailors, for travelers. And besides this, Corinth was known for drunken debauchery, debauchery. A drunken in Rome was referred to as a Corinthian. That was the reputation of Corinth. There was also an expression that was used that if you were going to go on a ship or something and go someplace, they'd go, where are you going to go? I'm going to go Corinthianize for the weekend. So they was going to go engage in debaucheries of all types. And this is why the word of God says to put off lasciviousness because it was a big thing. So the reputation of the Corinthians in first century Rome was they were lower class. They were crude and fornicating drunkards. Who wants to move there? (laughs) Okay, so besides that, all of the Greek games was near Corinth. So therefore, Corinth became the closest city. Therefore, it was the host city of all the games. And just like the Olympics, it generated a lot of revenue. So the games contributed to the sex industry, the alcohol sales, and great tourist business of 
all kinds of business for the tourists. And this created much competition also in the mindset of the Corinthians and was another mark of the city, competition because of the games. Corinth at the time of the gospel was filled with people that were seeking a new, fu new future. It was fortune hunters, professional swindlers, pimps, so-called tourist guides, you know, prostitutes, drunkards, okay? And Corinth in that day had seaports for many travelers and offered unrestricted sex, limitless alcohol, and a totally fierce spirit of competition. The people there were coarse. They were immoral soldiers, sailors, and freedmen. There were charlatans, swindlers, and cheaters. And all of this is in one city. So when you came to Corinth, all restraint was thrown off to the wind. And these are the people that Paul started the church with. This is the Corinthian congregation. And we criticize their carnality. You haven't faced any of that, and you're still carnal. Okay, we're still carnal. I don't want to point my finger at you. But we are, aren't we? Yes, we are. And yet we don't deal with any of that. We haven't really come out of much of that. Maybe one or two of them, but not that whole gamut of stuff. So this is the city of Corinth, which has now come into the church of Corinth. Amen. So 1 Corinthians, where are we at? Chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, this is just a partial list of the life of this congregation. This explains the carnality in this young church. So he says here, such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, justified. Okay, washed, sanctified, justified. What part of your being? Your spirit. That does not mean your mind. It does not mean your emotions. It does not mean your will or your flesh or your body. It means spiritually you have been sanctified, justified, and washed. Here's the whole deal. You don't go to heaven just as a spirit. You go as a spirit with a soul. And the reward will be based on the soul. And what the soul did in this life. So what was the purpose then of being washed, sanctified, and justified in the spirit? Because as a spirit man, you're supposed to rise up in the word of God and take control of your life. Amen. That's the whole idea of it. You don't sit around as that slouch, sluggard, and everything else that you used to be before you got saved. Well, that's the way I always did it. You were not saved. Well, that's the way daddy always did it. He wasn't saved. But we blow all this stuff off, don't we? Well, that's the way it's always been. That's the way they always did it. It's the way we've always done it. But you wasn't saved. And if you were, you may have been a little carnal. And everything that you say 
that you believed all your life, you need to check it out from the true knowledge of the word of God. Not just what somebody told you from the word of God, but the true knowledge of the word of God. Throughout Paul's letters to the Corinthian church, we see that the believers are still dealing with sexual sin, alcohol abuse, competition, people taking advantage of one another. Why? Because that's all they knew. It's all they knew. They didn't know any different. So Paul's not condemning them about what they are doing. That's all they knew. You know, I've told you the story about the churches in Ukraine when the, when the uh, wall first came down, right? The cold wall came to an end and, and things opened up over there. And they started churches in Ukraine and the pastors, being young, knew nothing except the rule of communism. So they started the church and they would rule it like a communist. Total control. So therefore, people that were more mature with understanding it all had to go in there and help them out and teach them how to be leaders within the word of God and not be in communist rule. Well, why did they rule like communists? Because it's all they knew. You can't fault somebody when it's all they know. But God will fault you when you don't want to change it. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know if I told you this, but, but I was thinking one day, just, just thinking about it in the Word of God, where it talks about the husband, you know, the husband, the wife, you know, we're all joint heirs together, you know, and we're all equal heirs together. We can both go into the presence of God. We both find out from God what is and what isn't, you know, you don't need your husband to go to God for you and you just do what he says. That's nonsense. That's control. That's communism. That's chauvinism. No, the husband and the wife are individual spirits and they have the equal opportunity and privilege to step into the presence of God and get direction. So then why is the man the head of the house? Or why is he, why is he said to be the head? <laughs> and the Lord said this real clear to me because I need somebody to blame. You know, and I'm thinking about all those men that just love to be in charge. I'm in charge. You do what I say. Well, you're going to be the getting the blame. Yeah, it puts a whole new light on it. A whole new light. Whew. But ladies, that don't get you off the hook. You're still responsible for you. You don't do what Bonehead tells you to do when it's against the things of God. And, man, you don't do what she tells you to do and what you want to do when it goes against the things of God. You're responsible for yourself. So, just like all of us, when we all got saved and came into the church, we came in with what we knew. It's all that we knew. Isn't that right? Some things are all that we know now. But it doesn't mean it's right thinking just because you know it now. Well, I've been saved a long time. But is it right thinking? Just because you've been saved for a long time doesn't mean it's right thinking. It's not by osmosis. It's not going to automatically just happen. You've got to take on the thinking of the Word of God. You've got to wash your soul just like the Lord washed you when you got born again. You got to wash your soul in the word of God. 
Amen. The Corinthians were in the process of overcoming their carnal thinking and carnal practices and learning to live transformed lives. Yep, just like all of us. Just like all of us. Carnality is not necessarily being backslidden. We know whenever we've talked about carnality, we think about, oh, they're backslidden, they're carnal. No, carnality was just that they hadn't been transformed yet. They just came into the church. They haven't been transformed. How many of you, when you got saved and came into the church, got transformed within the first year? Don't lie. You're in church. No. Second year? Third year? 40 years? Still working on it. Yeah. Still working on it. So we can see from the gifts that the gifts did not make them carnal nor cause excess. The gifts are now exposing the carnality that was in them to give direction, not only through the teaching of the word of God, but through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what it was revealing was the condition of the soul. So now by the gifts of the spirit, by teaching of the word of God, you get that in your heart and carnality can change into maturity through growth. Isn't that right? Amen. So as we saw over in Chapter 3, verses 1, he said, I couldn't talk to you as to spiritual men. I can only talk to you as carnal men, for you are babes. And he says, you're thinking and acting just like mere men. So in spite of their carnality, it did not hinder the Holy Spirit. But here's one thing you have to understand. The move of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God moving through you don't make you mature. See, a lot of people think, oh, God, use me. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, what? Tell me what? What are you going to tell me? You ain't tell me nothing. You, know? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you can tell I've had some of those conversations before. The Holy Spirit's not hindered by carnality, okay? If you want to know who the Holy Spirit will use, just think of Balaam's donkey. You can be at least on the level of a donkey and be used of God. Amen. Now, carnality can be something in our life that we don't want to change or we don't care to change it. Now, that would hinder the Holy Spirit. And again, the gifts don't make you mature. And they were used in all the gifts and they were so carnal. But they were used in all the gifts, the verbal gifts, right? But it doesn't make them mature. The word of God makes you mature. Taking a hold of the word of God, get it in your heart, get it in your mouth, get it in your life. That's what matures you. Sitting in church don't mature you any more than sitting in the olive of God and without eating get you full. You're not going to get full just because you're sitting in a pew, sitting in a chair or sitting over in the olive garden. You got to eat. And how many of you know that when you eat, you take it with you? And what you don't eat, you put in a box. It's called a flash drive. Because you didn't get to eat everything. Don't shout me down. So you got to-go packages to get a hold of what you didn't eat when you were here. And what you do eat when you're here, you have to take it with you. 
and then use the energy of that in your life, just like you do food. And it's really healthy, too. Healthy food in the Word of God. Are you with me? So the gifts that they were used in was speech and knowledge. So you got the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Verbal gifts that reveal hidden things and shows where things need to be changed. You know, you know the verbal gifts of the Spirit of God is not always like, y'all are wonderful. I'm so glad you're here. There's nobody like you. You're the apple of my eye. I can't believe I created you. You know, it's just not always like that. Sometimes he's a little direct on some stuff, but thank God he don't call out your name. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So the verbal gifts revealing hidden things and shows what needs to be changed. Sin gets exposed through revelatory gifts. Again, not to point a finger at anybody, but it's pointing the finger at the sin, at the actions and saying this needs to change. God always gives the chance to purge the sin through repentance. He'll always give that chance. And therefore, turning away from the, you know, repentance don't mean to apologize. It means turn away. You don't even have to say, I'm sorry. You can just turn away. That's your repentance, right? So as the gifts might bring conviction and correction we make a choice, I need to turn away from that. I need to get in the word and get, get empowered by the word of God so I can turn away from that. The same gifts would guide a believer to a new level of spiritual maturity. Come up higher, come up higher, come on in. You know, and it's kind of like what we heard a little bit today. Don't just settle for where you've always been. Just tell the Lord, I need more. You want to go further. You want to get more. Isn't that right? Yeah. Amen. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, and let's look in verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. All right, so who among men knows the thoughts of a man? I want you to be quiet. Just look at the person next to you and tell me what they're thinking. Now, I'm sure you could do a good job of making something up. But you don't know what they're thinking. Nobody knows what you're thinking except you. The only one that knows what a person is thinking is the spirit of that person. Well, what about God? Does God know what goes on on the inside of us? He does live with us, you know. You know, when you live with somebody, you get to know him. You know, he's not dating anymore. He's living with you. Amen. So the Holy Spirit can speak privately to a person's heart. He might speak to somebody about sin. He might speak to them about unforgiveness. He might speak to them about, yep, attitude. He might speak to them about that. And, you know, dot, 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 and whatever else there might be. But he can speak to us on the inside. Now, if the situation becomes full-blown and it's affecting the church, it is not unusual for the Holy Spirit to address it publicly. You know, I've, I've given messages in church through the years and people would come and complain to me about the things that I told about and said 
I can't believe you said that, you know, on and on and on. You know, well, I don't know anything about their life, but they're exposing themselves you know, by saying that, you know. And um, um, it was only declared, of course, because that's what the Spirit of God was bringing out, because he had already spoken to them privately, and they refused to change. So then here it comes publicly. So now you have another opportunity to change. Still nobody knows it's you. You know, unlike my pastor, he was doing a service one time. And uh, he was, I remember he walked up to the front here. And he was, do, he was teaching about something. And it had to do with intimacy with God. And a man that was on staff was sitting where you guys are sitting. Him, and he turned and said to his wife something. When he talked about intimacy with God, he turned and said something to his wife. And my pastor looked at him and said, get your mind out of the gutter. I mean, right there in front of everybody. He had no problem with that. I'm a little kinder than that. I remember another time he was... Now, another time he was talking about something and he said, now, if that was you, don't come running up to me after the service and try to explain yourself. As soon as service was over, that same person got up and came up to him and tried to explain himself. Exposed. <laughs> uh, well, God is really trying to get things straightened out in your life without everybody having to know about it. You know, that it got to that point with that man in, in the Corinthian church. And Paul said, I've turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit would be saved in the day of judgment. And everybody knew exactly who he was talking about. God don't want to get to that point. Amen. So, again, it's not unusual for the Holy Spirit to address things publicly. It could be because of a, it could be through a message that is being taught. It could be through a re revelatory gift. But the object of the Holy Spirit is always only and above all repentance and cleansing. That is always his objective. He never wants to see anybody get destroyed in sin or refusal to change. Spiritual gifts are essential for the church. The, 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 the verbal gifts are essential for the church. Why? Because of carnality that we all deal with. When the gifts are absent, whether it's through teaching or whether it's through the gifts of the Spirit, a crucial supernatural element is missing in the midst of God's people. Now, you can come to church, you can have a heyday, a hoedown, and a good old time. But you're missing a supernatural element to the church without the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer you're missing a supernatural element to your life without these gifts the church will primarily function on the strength of human effort reasoning natural talents amen aren't you glad that the worship team is not dependent on natural talents there is natural talent, but it's not what makes anything work, is it? No. You know, when we got into the presence of God there at the ending, you know it wasn't because of some guitar or a drum 
or somebody's voice. It's not because of that at all. As wonderful as that all is, except my guitar, but as wonderful as everything else is, you know. Are you with me? Without the functioning of the gifts of the Spirit in a church, there is less spiritual vitality and less effectiveness. You know, grace is a part of that vitality and effectiveness. Second Peter chapter 1 says that grace and peace is multiplied to you through the true knowledge. And operating in that true knowledge then multiplies that grace and that peace. And the first thing that gets added to all of that down in verse 5, I believe it is, is virtue, which is energy. Energy. Amen. It's energy of spirit, not energy of flesh. You weigh yourself out in a heartbeat, energy of flesh. Amen. So, this situation without any gifts will cause the church or the individual to be apathetic, hindered in their prayer life, stymied in their growth, and it'll eat away at the life of the church or the individual. Amen. And therefore, the individual or the church will not fulfill its assignment. And that's Satan's plan. This is why Satan fights the things of the Spirit so much. He don't want you involved in the things of the Spirit. If we have trouble giving ourselves to the prayer language of tongues in the Holy Spirit, we're certainly not going to give ourselves to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's just the way it is. Amen. Amen. And I'm talking about the prayer language of tongues. I'm not talking about the gift of tongues. There's a whole different thing on that. You know, and we're going to get into somewhere down the road about lining up the gifts of the Spirit and faith. Because you need both of them. They're both designed to operate. You don't take one or the other. They're both in the church that God has set in the church. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. You know, why did God give you the Holy Spirit but didn't give it to the world? Because the Holy Spirit's designed to make you smarter. Well, he teaches you all things, don't he? Yes, he, does. he teaches you all things, so it should make you smarter. Smarter than the world. Smarter in decision making. Smarter in our perception of things. Smarter in knowing what's going on because of the Holy Spirit. Smarter to know what to do because of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, the Holy Spirit is like my algebra teacher. He, she was a great algebra teacher. Best in the school. So I was told. I just never showed up for class. And she was there every day teaching, 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 but I learned nothing, nothing. So I wound up going to summer school. Another good algebra teacher. But I was more concerned with going to the beach and having a good time. I didn't pass summer school. So I wound up in uh, my sophomore year. Taking algebra again for the third time. Good teachers. Finally, I listened and I learned and I passed. 
So I started off my junior year with the same teacher from my freshman year in teaching algebra, but now she's teaching geometry. I'm like, I'm done with this. This is too much for me. So I called it quits. Once I, once I figured out X and Y is never the same and, you know, you got to figure this stuff out, that, that was like, that's enough for me. I'm done. You're going to talk about angles and, you know, I knew a lot of angles, but it had nothing to do with classrooms. <laughs> I, was, I was in geometry and never knew it. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit is given to us as a teacher to teach us, but we have to listen. We have to show up for class. We have to pay attention. The Holy Spirit is to make us sharper, that we should be aware of things to come. Aware of things to come. Amen. I still remember. Some of you may like it. Some of you may not like it, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Hopefully you don't shut down live stream or podcast when I talk about this. But Back in 2015, there was a man that was going to run for president. And I wasn't too sure about him. And the Holy Spirit said to me, pay attention. Do not listen to news clips about him. You hear what he says because he will be the most lied about person. And I did. I started listening to everything he said. And then I heard all the lying news clips. And I said, he didn't say that. It's not what he said. They're lying as usual. But the Holy Spirit was showing me things to come. So I was a little sharper because I wasn't going by news clips. And this was like from the very beginning when he came down the escalator. Amen. You have the Holy Spirit so you can know spiritual matters. You can pray in tongues and have revelation. You get better revelation from the word of God. When you have the Holy Spirit and you're praying in the Holy Ghost. And these are only some of the reasons that he's given us the Holy Spirit. You know, Brother Hagin wrote a book on 10 reasons to pray in tongues, I think it was. And it was about the Holy Spirit. Excellent little book. The Lord wants to impart to us supernatural wisdom and revelation. And enable us to demonstrate his love and his power on this earth. Amen. But you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12. Last week we were talking about spiritual matters and we mentioned about the positions and the ministries that the Lord has set. Remember there are different gifts but the same spirit, different ministries or positions of service and the same Lord and the same God that works the effects of all these things together. So here in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, these are some other categories of gifts. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we all have different grace. So we all have different gifts. We're not to compete with one another over our gifts. Because if you try to walk in my gift, it's not going to be good for you. If I try to walk in yours, it's not going to be good. Not going to work. You know, Dennis is going to be here next week. If he tries to operate in the pastoral gift, he's going to be tripping and falling. If I try to operate in his gift, it's just not going to work out because we all have gifts that differ. Isn't that right? 
In the same way, if you know that you're a door greeter, you're supposed to be on the door. If you're going to try to be a children's worker and you're not supposed to be, there's going to be a problem. And it's like the guy that says, you know, uh, I don't want to work with children. I want to be in the music team. And he gets on the music team and the anointing is so wonderful and so great and all. But the Lord's not speaking to him. And he's like, Lord, why aren't you speaking to me? And the Lord said, because I set up an appointment with you in children's church and you never showed up. Amen. No place I'd rather be. We all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. This is not the gift of the prophet. All right. Neither is this a prophetic utterance of the future. This is a prophecy because you can't speak a prophetic utterance of the future because you can't have faith in the future. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. You can't be speaking beyond your faith. Not for what he's talking about here. If service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching. Again, that's not the fivefold ministry of teaching. That's the health ministry of teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so a lot of these are what we call ministry of helps gifts or called motivational gifts. And everybody has at least one of these gifts and they were given to you before you were born. Isn't that right? Now, why are they called motivational gifts? Because we motivate everybody. No, <laughs> no, it's not a motivational gift. <laughs> Motivational gift is designed to motivate you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. See, these gifts should motivate you to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. That's what they motivate us to. They don't motivate us. Well, you know, I'm an exhorter. I get everybody excited. That's not a motivational gift. Sorry. Motivational gift the gift motivates you to walk in what God's called you to walk in. It impels us. It incites us not to be a cheerleader to others, but for the spirit of God to be a cheerleader to us as individuals. Amen. Amen. You know how many times in the last 42 years now that I felt like sitting down from pastoring. Don't look at me like you're so holy. <laughs> you know, but that motivational gift on the inside wouldn't let me. Amen. And I'm glad it didn't let me. So these are some helps ministry gifts or motivational gifts. And then, of course, you know, the ones in Ephesians four, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men, some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Right. And they are to perfect the saints, equip the saints, and mature the saints for the work of service that builds up the body of Christ. So if the fivefold ministry gifts were given to equip and mature the saints for the work of service, then what service are they supposed to do? Right there. That service. Or whatever the Spirit of God puts on the inside of you. Amen. And these positions of service, again, there are gifts 
of the same, by the same Spirit. There are ministries or positions of service and the same Lord, but then God takes those gifts and those positions and works them together so that those gifts operate within that position of service. And that's what makes your position of service, uh, what's the word? It, it makes it um, profitable. Profitable. Position of service is not just doing a job. It's not just, it's not just fulfilling a position or a place. It is connecting with the gift on the inside and allowing the Spirit of God, God working the gifts of the Spirit through that position in order to be profitable to all. Are you with me? Amen. So many people, they want the gifts to operate in them, but then they don't want to do nothing. Don't shout me down. I'm looking straight ahead. But I'm not looking at the camera. But that's true. And, and yet, where are you to learn to operate in the things of the Spirit of God? In that position. That's where you learn. I, uh, I got involved in a, uh, back in 1981. I was only sa saved a couple of months and I got involved in a home Bible study group. And um, so I got involved with that and started doing some things there. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God started talking to me and started showing me some things. And we started operating in some things that I had not known before. But it was all by the Spirit of God. Well, the reason it was operating is because I got involved with what I needed to get involved in. If I didn't get involved, if I said, no, I'm not getting involved with that, well, then I would not have learned what I needed to learn from the Spirit of God. You know, folks can be up here doing worship, and we're doing songs and all that, but yet the Spirit of God can be talking to you about something totally different. I don't mean talking to you. I'm talking about talking to the musicians and the singers about something totally different than what they're doing. Because they're in that position of service. The gifts can operate and move, can move through them, can move in them. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The nine gifts of the Spirit are essential for us to be the supernatural church that God intends for us to be. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at the nine gifts of the Spirit. And then we're going to look at the nine gifts and compare it to a life of faith. And you're going to see... That life in the spirit and the gifts and the life of faith totally parallel. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. And next week is going to be even gooder. Amen. Because Dennis will be here Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So again, don't forget to invite somebody. Um. And uh, be prepared to be involved and a partaker of receiving from what God has for you and for uh, a giving. The, uh, you know, the Bible talks about appointed times. Appointed times. You know, when we have Dennis come in or we have Terry come in or have anybody come in, we don't have them come in because they're good old buddies. Or we've known them for a long time. But they need a meeting. They need some money. You know, that's not what it's about. It's an appointed time. And these things, if we're in the body of Christ and God appoints these times for us, 
then we should hold those times sacred. And it's very important to be involved with what God wants to do during those times. Because it's an appointed time. It's an appointed time, which means there may not be another time like that time. Now, I know that you can, you know, I understand the difference between necessity and convenience. You know, out of convenience, we might say, I'll just get the flash drive. But you won't get the appointed time out of that. You'll get a teaching or something, but you won't have the appointed time. And it's very, very important to be involved in the appointed time and what God is setting up for an appointment. Yes, there's a time for deposits. Okay. Uh, When he was here last uh, month, you know, on that Wednesday night, there was a major deposit happened that night. And you had to be here for it. You couldn't get that on a flash drive. You had to be here for it. Amen. But again, like I said, you know, if it's a necessity, that's different. You can be before the Lord and you can pray and get ready to to listen to it, watch it, whatever you need to do. But then there's when we try to do things out of convenience and we don't want to do that. Okay, appointed times. Praise God. God is good. Amen. 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 So whether you're here, live stream, podcast, Facebook, I want you to remember that next Sunday morning. Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night, Dr. Dennis Burke is going to be here, and they're going to be great meetings in the Word of God and in the anointing of the Spirit of God. I've known Dennis, I have known Dennis for a long time, and in fact, he's the longest relationship that I have with anybody in the ministry. And uh, there is nobody that teaches like he does with such great clarity and pinpoints some major things from the Word of God. He's an excellent teacher, and uh, the Spirit of God moves through him. Amen? Amen. Father, we bless you. We honor you, Father. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Thank you for your goodness and your grace that is poured out upon us. Father, I thank you. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come before you with our giving, whether it be our tithes, whether it be a seed sown, whether it be a first fruit. Father, I just thank you that there is word connected promises connected to each form of giving and father we take the correct word the true knowledge of the word and we connect it to that which we're doing in our giving and therefore we get those things in our heart we get them in our mouth we declare them into our life father and by the word in alive in our heart and the action that we take father just like you said to cornelius your arms and your prayers have come as a memorial before God. Father, I thank you. Thank you, Father, that our speaking of the word of God is prayer before you, that our almsgiving, Father, is comes before you, and that it will be a memorial. And just like you sent Cornelius that which he needed, you will also send to us because our prayers and our almsgiving rises up before you and is ever before the throne of God. We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen.